This is a sermon from the Highlands Congregation of Park Church. We hope it helps you walk with the Lord and lead others to Christ. Learn more and find more resources at parkchurch.org. For those of you here in the building, I want to welcome you. For those of you joining online, I want to welcome you as well. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 1 through 19. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew back uh, in front of you. So again, Matthew 11, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent, by, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. And what then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like Children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds." This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to those who are joining us online, those who are here in person. Man, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Um, It is a gift and and an honor to be here with you all today. Um, If you are new, welcome. I'm glad that you are here worshiping with us in person and online. Um, I have the honor to be one of the pastors Uh, here on staff, what a privilege that is. And so um, if we would, let's get ready to prepare our hearts and sit at the feet of Jesus and hear what he has to say through this passage in regards to expectations of Jesus. And so if you would, 
I want to invite you to pray for us. Amen. I will pray for us as well. And then we will commence um, by saying amen and sitting at the feet of Jesus to hear what he has to say through his word when it comes to doubts and expectations. Amen? Amen. amen. Let's go ahead and pray. And before we do, um, I just, we just let's calm our hearts. Um, and we have to do that because life is fast and there's a lot going on. And man, we want to reorient our hearts right now around his presence to know that he's here. Um, and he desires to hear from his children um, as well. So let's take a moment, let's quiet our hearts, and then we'll go before the Father. God, you are good and your mercies endure forever. And I pray that as we get ready to look to your word, Father, that you would speak, that you would bring life from dead places, that you would ignite fires that seem like it's going out, Father. I pray that people would give their life to you and surrender and actually repent today. Father, I pray that we receive your invitation, that we take the cares of the world and lay them at your feet to find rest in you. God, give us a greater awareness of your presence. Help us to be sensitive to your spirit. God, as I speak, have them not see me merely as one, as, a, as an entertainer, but one who stands proclaiming, thus says the Lord. So, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we all together as one church said, amen. amen. Expectations. Expectations. Every last one of us have them. If you got breath in your body, you have expectations in life. And sometimes those expectations don't go as you accept it, like you want it. I just knew my Chiefs was about to go back-to-back champs last year, and <laughs> man, I was hurt. My expectations got doused quick. But I jokingly say that, but the truth is we, we, we do. We have expectations, and the question is, how do you respond with that? Because when your expectations are not met, there's frustration, there's anger, you feel cloudy, you start to doubt, you start to question, and particularly with your faith and, and when you're in a situation that God is not moving, as you see fit. And we come to this text today, and it is very simple in its form, but what we will address is that when doubts arise, because they will, Jesus is the king we need. When doubts arise, when doubts arise because expectations are not met, Jesus is still the king we need. A little context was taking place here is Jesus got through commissioning his 12, chapter 10, and we see here in verse 1, it says he finished instructing them on what to do, the 12 disciples, and Jesus continued his ministry, preaching and teaching in the cities. But we come and we find John in prison. John is in prison because one, he is proclaiming 
the gospel of the kingdom, but also he's calling out Herod's mess. Herod Antipas wanted his brother-in-law's wife, and he did have her. And John's saying, hey, that's unlawful, and calling people to repent. And so John finds himself in prison because of the gospel. And what we're going to look at here in this text that I think that brings three movements for us to see is that we will see that a faith with doubts. Let me say that again. A faith with doubts, Jesus' response to doubts, and Jesus is the king we all need instead of the king we want. A faith with doubts, Jesus responds to the doubts, and Jesus is the king we need instead of the king we want. Let's take a moment and look and visit a faith with doubts. Where do we see that? If you look at verse 2, it reads as this. It says, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to them, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Interesting question that John asks here. Why is John asking this question? He's in prison, and he hears about the deeds of Christ. That lets us know simply is that John's circumstance is not what he wants, and Jesus methodology is not meeting his expectations. But before we dive into that, let me, let me back up and understand that John is a man, John the Baptist is a man of faith here. And we see that his faith, even in the midst of being a man of faith, there is doubts. But let me revisit and refresh and remind some of you who may have forgotten who John the Baptist was or for some who don't know who he is. John the Baptist, as is described in chapter 3 of Matthew here, and you can find in, John, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, he is one that is saying, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's calling out the Pharisees and Sadducees and calling them broods of vipers because they need to repent and they're not wanting to accept who Jesus is. He is one that says Jesus is the one coming after him and is mightier than him. He says Jesus is so great that he's even unworthy to untie his sandals, as it would say. He talks about how Jesus is coming to baptize with the Spirit and fire. He's the one who actually baptized Jesus, and amongst coming out of the water, he witnessed this, uh, uh, the Spirit descending on Jesus and the clouds parting and hearing God say, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus, John the Baptist is the one that leaped in his mother's womb when Mary and Elizabeth came together because it signified and he knew that this is the Messiah one that Mary is carrying. This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist that cries out in the wilderness, make, way, make straight the way of the Lord as he acknowledged. This is John that says that Jesus, that he's going he's to judge and he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's John that's saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, John is a man of faith. 
but he has doubts. And the doubts is implicit here. It's not overly explained, but he's asking questions here. How can a man who of such faith, in which we will acknowledge that Jesus says is the greatest of human beings, yet now questions if Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah? Again, it is because he's in prison, his circumstance isn't great, it's not favorable, and the methodology of Jesus is not quite what he expected. See, John was one in the wilderness with kind of with the iron fist, like he's going to come to judge and you need to repent right now because judgment's coming and he separate the wheat from the chaff and he's going to throw the fruit that doesn't bear fruit into the fire. And what he sees here, which Jesus sends back to John through his disciples, as he says in verse 4, he's seeing that Jesus says that go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news. Jesus would have sent word, when Jesus sent word back to John, John would have knew what Jesus was talking about because Jesus here is quoting an Old Testament prophet in Isaiah 61. And John was a prophet and well-versed in the Old Testament in its words, and he would have knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. But the problem is when, you, when Jesus sends word back reflecting Isaiah 61 verse 1, he doesn't finish the full verse of the end of verse 1 in chapter 2, because 61 of Isaiah reads this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. See, Jesus stops there, but John knows that the other passage of Isaiah 61, it says, he sent to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners. You see, John's in prison and he's like, wait a minute. You're supposed to set prisoners free, provide freedom for us. And the methodology that Jesus is doing is not meeting John's expectation. Why? Because he wants Jesus to come with vision, vengeance and saying, hey, I need to be set free. Those who are oppressed need to be set free. That's why the, the Jews were yelling Hosanna because they're saying, hey, the Messiah, he's coming to overturn the government. He is bringing the political and military regime that we want, flipping it on his head. And now those who are oppressed are going to be able to be free. But yet Jesus comes as one with grace, mercy, compassion. You see the... It's, 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 so... John's like, wait a minute now, something's not quite adding up. See, John's faith is having doubt because the expectation is not being met right now. And I submit to you today that you may be in a situation in life. Life may not have dealt you the cards of hands that you want, and now you have doubt. Expectations aren't being met. Has there been a circumstance in your life where you've doubted God? 
Maybe some of you in this room or even watching online have currently, right now, are experiencing doubt in God. See, it's funny how life has a way, especially for those who are believers. And even for non-believers as well, we all have expectation, and sometimes your life isn't quite going the way that you thought. Maybe there's an illness or a chronic disease that you have, whether it was from birth or recently diagnosed, and yet you're not healed, but you've been praying and you've went to the elders and you're asking people to intercede and you've been faithful, and yet you're not healed, but you see somebody else healed. Perhaps you're single, wanting to be married, and you're in your 20s, 30s, maybe 40s or 50s or even 60s, and you're like, but, but I've been a life of faithfulness and holiness, and I'm not married yet, but yet you see other people getting married. Maybe your marriage is not what you expect it right now to be. Maybe you just recently went through a divorce, or some of you are on the edge of divorce, and you see another marriage redeemed, but yours isn't. All the while, you're like, I've been faithful, I've been laboring, I've been praying. Maybe there's years years of fertility issues, only to come to find out that someone in your family who's had fertility issues or other friends that you know, and now they're giving birth to their child, maybe even second child. But you're like, what? But that's not the case for me. Maybe your career is not what you expect it to be. You've been looked up for the third time for a promotion. Or maybe you're not even in the field that you ultimately desire and you're doing a job that's like, ah, it just pays the bills, but why am I not where I need to be? Maybe you moved to Colorado because you said, I'm about to live the good life. The promised land of the West, the mountains, the puries, you name it. Only to find out you don't have relationships and you're lonely and you can't connect and it's not meeting your expectations. And the list goes on and on and on. My point is what I'm saying is that life sometimes doesn't go as we expect. And because it doesn't, doubt set in especially when we're believers, because you're like, I know that God is on the move. I've seen God heal. I hear how God is healed before. I've seen it. I've been faithful. I'm coming to church. I'm part of small groups. I'm being consistent. I'm honoring you. I'm glorifying you. But what's going on now? My circumstance is not favorable right now. And God, by the way, your methodology is not quite lining up with what I read and know about you. So, Doubt sets in. Hey, let me, let me speak to a few things that let you know this. It is okay to doubt. Doubting is normal. We don't know what life brings us. We don't know the next turns. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, if anything, what 2020 taught us is that we ain't got control of nothing. Just, just call it for what it is. You can be a conspiracist. You can think what you want. It shut it down. None of us saw it. We was proclaiming the year 2020 vision. Yeah, God gave us some vision, all right. (laughs) I'm just trying to lighten the mood up a little bit. 
But what I'm saying is that doubt is normal, though, family. See, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. See, doubt struggles to believe but still searches for the truth. Notice what John does. John the Baptist, he sends his disciples to Jesus. So he's, he's doubting, but he's still searching for the truth. Right? Versus an unbelief is one of like stubbornness. It's not willing, it's not willing and it's refusing to believe. Which is what Jesus gets to in verse 16 and 19 where he talks about that nothing's going to please this generation. And they're refusing to accept who Jesus is, that Jesus is the king we need. And it's my belief that John knew that Jesus is the king that we need, but he had doubts though because his circumstances and because the methodology wasn't quite adding up here. So understand there's a difference between doubt. Doubt is part of the journey, family. The question is, is it doubt or or are you tapping into unbelief? And hear me now, listen to this. Oftentimes we put God on the hook for things he never promised. What are you saying? See, John was in prison and John is like, okay, I know God's word and you said you're going to set the captives free and the prisoners free, so um, let's go. But what he's, what's kind of happened is that Jesus is not moving to his timeline. He's not moving when he wants, the way he wants, how he wants. And the same is true for us. And, and, and here's the crazy thing. Jesus sends word back to John, but John never gets out of prison. Actually, in chapter 14, it talks about how John's beheaded, which is very interesting here. Another example is where Paul asks God and pleads to God, say, remove this thorn, whatever that thorn is. He's like, yo, get it out of my side. It is killing me here. This situation, this circumstance is not good here. And yet... He responds to Paul and says, in your weakness, my power is made perfect. What am I saying? When you're in your proverbial prison or your proverbial thorn, what happens is that we get frustrated with God and we start to doubt. And we'll talk about even some maybe goes to unbelief because God's not moving when we want him to, how we want him to, the way we want him to. And in fact, we're wanting him to be the king that we want versus him to be the king that he needs. And I'm telling you, family, sometimes that's hard to sit in that because we want liberation right now. We want freedom. We want redemption. And hear me, that is good and we should pursue that and we should pray and we should ask God for those things. But the hardest part sometimes is waiting, knowing we know that there is an answer. And sometimes God's answer is no, and you'll experience it in eternity. Faith with doubts. Faith with doubts. Now, what we see here is that Jesus has a response to the doubt. He responds to the doubt. What do you see that? You see that he responds to John by giving John a word. 
If you look at verse 4, Jesus answered them, his disciples. He said, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, death hear, the dead are raised, the poor ha um, have good news preached to them. Remember what I said earlier, John would have knew that this was from Isaiah 61, and what Jesus is reminding John is that, hey, I'm giving you the word that reminds you that I am he that you question about. He presents the word to him. He reminds him of, Jesus, of his character. He's saying, John the Baptist, this is me. I am the one, the anointed one, the Messiah, the king that we all need. Look at my character. And the same goes for us is that we need to remind ourselves and God points us to the word in the context of community. Because John uh, is in community, he sends his disciples, and then Jesus sends the disciples back to John to give him the word. He reminds him of the word of who the king is and how he is the king that we need. This pastor said, and I thought this was good, God always feels absent when unfavorable circumstance is present. Faith in God and his word reminds us the feelings are not facts. Let me say that again. God always feels absent when unfavorable circumstances is present. Faith in God and his word reminds us the feelings are not facts. We see that Jesus responds to the doubt by pointing him to the word that he's actually entertaining his doubts. And he even go so far to not only remind them who the, uh, the Messiah is and how he is, how the one that you proclaimed in the wilderness, I am he, I am the king that we all need. But he also in verse 6 blesses him in a sense. And what he says in verse 6, he says, blesses the one who, who is not offended by me. Fascinating here. Let's unpack this. Bless, which really means... One who is well off or at peace. Interesting. He says that who is not offended by me. Really that word offended is the scandalizo. That's the word which where we get our word scandalous from. Which means is not taken offense who hasn't fallen away or stumbled or even led into sin because of the scandalous that has happened. To kind of. Phrase it another way, what Jesus says is blessed, well off, the one who is at peace, who doubts. Notice he didn't shame him for doubting, but the one who doubts, but does not fall away, that does not stumble, that does not fall into sin because Jesus is a different kind of king and does not meet. John, or your expectations. He says, blessed are you who, who, who is at peace. You're at peace. You're well off because even though you doubt, you have not fallen away from me. Because if you haven't fallen away. I know I don't meet your expectations. I know I'm not going about the methodology in the way that you think I should. But man, God, you're blessed. I don't know about you, but how many of us want to, to be blessed, to have the the father say, you're blessed. 
But notice here, not only does he give them the word, and not only does he say he's blessed, and we who even doubt but don't fall away, we're still blessed as well. We see that Jesus doesn't even rebuke John's doubt. He, entertain, he doesn't rebuke them. He actually sits here and answers them and points them to who he is and reminds him that he, that Jesus is the king we need. But also what he does is that he bestows honor to John. That's so fascinating. Where do you see that at? Well, what happens here between verses 7 and 15, Jesus now sends the disciples of John away and now turns to the crowd and addresses things and bestows an honor that is like no other. Where do you see that at? Verse 11, look what it says. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has risen no one greater than John the Baptist. He didn't rebuke him. He actually unpacks in those verses before, and even in verses 13 and 15, he's saying, hey, this man is greatest among humans that has been born. But then here's what's fascinating. Not only does he sit here and say how great John is, but he says how great is the least of these. Look at verse 11, the second part of it. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of the heaven is greater than he. Fascinating. He just bestowed a great honor upon John, said he's the greatest that's ever been born from a woman. And yet he says the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. What, what, what are you saying, Jesus? What's going on? Here's what he's saying. See, John represented the old covenant. He was the last prophet that represented the old covenant. And so what happens is now Jesus, therefore, is, the, is kicking off the new covenant. And what Jesus is saying is that, hey, John has been great and he has ran his race. But now I am being the king that we need. Therefore, the one who believes in me, I'm flipping this kingdom upside down. When you trust me, when those who are sinners, those who are tax collectors, those who have doubts, those who have insecurities, those who are drunkards, those who are adulterous, those who are prideful, those who are arrogant, the ones that feel least of these, poor in spirit, the one who is lame in spirit, the one who is broken, he's saying, hey, greater is these, they're least in the kingdom. Why? Because I bring a new way. I bring a way in a methodology that's not your way. I will judge. Oh, no, that day is coming. Make no mistake. We're not going to escape the judgment. It was just like one time I remember I went to school and I got in trouble. <laughs> and I knew the wrath was coming when I got home. But when I got home, I, I, nothing happened. I was like, oh, I got away with it. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Five hours later, I get called downstairs, Miguel. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I'm like, yeah, what's up? You thought I forgot, didn't you? My heart just dropped because <laughs> I knew I was about to get to wrath at that time. And what I'm saying is that Jesus is going to handle that one day. It's not going away. But what he's saying is that, hey, I got a new way. 
I'm coming to heal those who are broken. I'm coming for the least of these. And get this, and for those who put their hope and trust in Jesus, that includes you and me. What greater honor is that than to have? To know that he is the king that we need, not the king that we want. And he says, hey, now those who are least in the kingdom are greater than John because of Jesus. You see, what you have to understand is that now what's happening is that we get to approach the grace of throne boldly. We get to have a greater awareness of God's presence. See, we get to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that was poured out in Acts chapter 2 that's in every believer. See, Jesus went to the cross and died uh, for our sins once and for all. And we have this written word and we know how it ends and we read about the resurrection and know that he defeated death and yet we know that he um, conquers all and he's ascended in heaven and we're waiting his second coming just like everyone else in the Old Testament and even now. And we get to be great because, not of us, but because he's being the king that we want. Come on now. Least of these. My question to you is that are you yielding your heart to God's way and will, even in your doubts, even in your frustration, even when the expectation that you have is not met by God's methodology? Because what we see here is that my next movement is that Jesus is the king we all need instead of the king we want. You have to understand, they wanted a revolt. They said, hey, I need judgment. Come set us free. Let's flip this thing up. We about to start a revolt. And Jesus is like, yeah, not right now. Um, I'm eating with tax collectors and sinners and drunkards. You're like, what? But he's the king we need. Fascinating, when you look at verse 12, verse 12 says, from the, day of John and the Baptist, from the day of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and violence take it by force. Really what it's saying is that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has received opposition. It's received opposition in John's time. It's receiving opposition in Jesus' time. Hence why Jesus is still going to go to the cross and die, because they do not like him. They're not the king that they want. Because they want him to move to his, their ways. They're like, hey, you need to do what we need to do. You causing too much riffraff. You, you messing up our money. You messing up our whole government stuff. No, no, we don't like that. He said opposition is going to come. And people are going to continue to try to kill and stop the movement of God's kingdom advancement. Now understand in other countries, there's people that physically are martyred. They're killed because of the faith, because of who Jesus is. And yes, there may have been some cases and stuff, things like that here in America, but we may not be killed physically. And why did God have it like that? I don't know. But here's what happened. Our souls are attacked and killed for sure. Our souls is attacked. The world wants to choke the word out. The culture says that God is not the way. No, he, he needs to be what you want. Your truth needs to be, God needs to adjust and acquiesce to you. And that's really what happens when he, what he says in verses 16 and 19. He pretty much says, look, this generation is off the chain. Ain't no pleasing him. 
that John, they call him a demon. Jesus is, I'm a drunkard, you know, I'm hanging out with people. And pretty much what it is saying is that the people are rejecting the gospel because Jesus and John are not fitting to their format of their expectations and they're not doing what they want. Pretty much it summarizes what it's saying. Understand this, that the opposition is so great to the kingdom of God that the souls, that, 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 that they, that the souls are at stake. You see people fall away for different reasons. That's why in Mark chapter 4, verse 19, it says, The worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things, or excuse me, for other things enter in and choke out the word and becomes unfruitful. We've seen people fall away after time, not quickly, but slowly. Why? Because they have doubts, and their doubts move to unbelief. And they're so concerned, and they're taking their doubts, and they're moving, and they're moving their doubts, and they're going to Google. They're taking their doubts, and they're going to Capitol Hill. They're going to the Republican. They're going to the Democrat. They're trying to go every which way and why except to the one who is true and can guide them in their doubts. Let me ask you a question. Why does God exist? Huh? Why does he exist? Did Jesus come to be the king that you want? What do you mean? To push your American dream? To push your agenda? So that your truth can be your truth? Did he come so that you say, hey, I'll, I'll take a little bit of this word, but I ain't going to take the whole counsel of God. I'm going to just take the, God, the ones that I like that affirms my ways. Is it that you treat him as a genie in a bottle? When we have doubts, when they come about, when they are present because the situation is unfavorable, your circumstances are not what you want, and the methodology of what you expect God to do is not going about your way. So what do you do? Um, what do you do? Do people sit here? Do you approach it with a cynical faith? Approach it, uh, approach it as a critic? Because it's not getting your way and, you're not, and, it's not, and he's not moving on your timeline? No, but I submit to you and I encourage you, I hope that even in your doubts, even in those situations of unknownness and frustration times, because you're like, God, I've been laboring, I've been praying hard, I've been faithful, I know what your word says, but what's going on? Nothing has changed. Do you approach God from a desperate place? Because he's the savior that we need, the king that we need. Do you approach and seek to have understanding? Which way is it? Do you approach your doubts in isolation, which is not good? Because hear me now, people want, we live in a time where people have doubts. And what's a big thing right now is deconstructing our faith. And in an element, deconstruction in itself is not bad. We need to get rid and deconstruct what's not good. But also, we need to kind of challenge and be like, okay, I got doubts, but what are you saying, God? But here's the thing, people go so far as that they go to unbelief. They go, which means stubborn. They're not going to believe the truth because, hey, you know what? This ain't the king I want. I don't want that king. Even though it's the king that I need, I don't want it. I want my king. Therefore, let me just deconstruct and walk away from the faith at all. Therefore, now we're not blessed because we've allowed our doubts to cause us to sin and stumble and go away from the one who really is the king that we need. 
But yet what I encourage you to do is do what John did. He processed his doubt in community. Notice he sent his disciples to Jesus. He's like, hey, help me out here. I can't move. I can't go. But, but help me process this. This is why we need one another. I encourage you to pray and remind yourself that we have victory in who Jesus is because what he has done. And all what I also encourage you to do is be vulnerable. What I mean is that be honest with God. Doubt your doubts. He's big enough to handle all of that. Like, God, I know what your word says, but something's not adding up. You're not moving. I've been faithful. What? Help me, please. Whatever they may be, he's big enough. God can handle all of that. Why? Because he is the king that we need. So even in frustration moments, even when doubts creep in, because you're like, man, my expectations aren't being met, God. And I know I'm supposed to rejoice with my brothers and sisters over here, but I haven't been healed. I haven't, you haven't given us a child. You haven't changed my situation. You fill in the blank. But oftentimes we got to be reminded and reeled back in. And what Jesus does in this whole time, whatever your proverbial prison is, Know that Jesus still met John in his doubts and did not rebuke him and says, I am the king that you need. Why? And we have to be reminded that he's the king that we need versus the king that we want. Because Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For though my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are high, Higher than the earth, so are my, my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. He's the king that we need because he knows better than we do. He's the king that we need because he is the way, the truth, and the life. So when you have doubts, don't run to the culture. No, run to the one who can handle your doubts and he will point you in the right direction. He will guide you in truth because he is truth. That's why he is the king we need because he went and died a scandalous death that you and I would not even sniff at for one second. And even if we did, it would take an eternity to accomplish. He's the king that we need because he said, hey, while you're sinners, I'm going to go to the cross for you. That's what I'm going to do. Not because you all that. Not because you got it going on. No, but because I love you right where you are. Your doubts, your uncertainties, your mess, your insecurities. Hey, I'm the king you need and I'm going to sit there. And not only am I going to sit there, I'm going to give up my spirit when I want to. Because they're not killing me like they think they are. I'm giving it up. Because he is the king that we need. He's the king that we need because he's gracious and he's merciful and he's kind. Mighty funny how when he's the king that we want him to be, we want the justice. We want the revolt. But God forbid when we're in a situation, we like, God, I need you to be gracious. I need you to be compassionate. I need you to be merciful. Why? Because he is the king that we need. He's the king that we need, family, because he resurrected. If there is no resurrection, he's not the king that we need. But we know that he did rise, so therefore he is the king that we need. So when you have your doubts, when you have your frustrations, when you're not sure, when nothing has changed, whatever the situation may be, you run to the Father and say, look, I'm a hot mess. I know what your word says, but help me in my unbelief. Help me in my doubts, God. I need you right now. And when when you stay faithful to the course, he says, blessed is the one who even doubts, but you don't fall away because of me. 
Let us be a church. Let us be a people that is marked by one who can have our faith in doubt, but yet hold fast to God's word because he is the king that we need instead of the king that we want. Let us pray. God, I thank you that even when we doubt, you don't rebuke us, you don't shame us, you don't look down upon us as humans would. And, and, and so I'm grateful that you're not the king that we want, but you're the king that we need. So God, right now, as there's doubts that may be present in this room or doubts of those who are at home watching online, I pray right now that you speak a word to them, that you grip their heart to know that they can come to you and you're big enough to handle their doubts. Help us to be people that hold fast to your word. Thank you that you love us enough to send Jesus to die for us. Knowing if you don't do anything else, you are still the most faithful and just God there is or ever will be. Amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.